morning. Welcome to the Dissident Daughters podcast. I am your host, Ada, and I'm excited to be back. I've been gone for a while. Actually, it feels like it's been um, a really long time. So just to give you a a brief little recap, I I went to Hawaii for 10 days and uh, had so much fun. Hawaii, if you've never been to Hawaii, we went to Maui this time. We've been we've been to Maui before and we've been to Kauai. Those are the only two islands I've been to. But it's beautiful, it's magical, it's healing. It's like this place that just makes your soul feel like it's alive. I I can't describe it any other way. But yeah, we just I spent we we spent a lot of time in the water, in the ocean, on the beach, in the sand, um, just kind of soaking up the beauty of the earth. And like, I really felt this, just this deep connection with, with the earth and the ocean. It's so, I don't know. I just, it's so hard to describe, but it's just glorious. We did so many fun things. We, we kayaked and we, um, we snorkeled with, sea turtles and we parasailed and we hiked and we, I don't know, we stopped by farmer's markets and got yummy fresh fruit and we swam in the ocean and we just laid out in the sunshine. We walked in the rain. We ate really good food. We, oh my gosh, we slept so good. I don't know. It's just this magical, magical place. I slept so good while we were in Hawaii and I literally never wanted to come home. It was so hard to come home. I thought after 10 days, I'm going to be ready to come home. Guess what? I wasn't ready to come home. I told my husband, let's just, let's just send for our baby girl and she can come out here and we can just stay for however much longer we need to. It was just It was just wonderful and magical and a really good time for me and my husband to just reconnect for it to be just us two together. And I love spending time with him. It's, you know, I guess some, in some ways I feel like it's such a miracle that I actually love being with my husband because I did not, I did not grow up in that environment. My, my parents did not enjoy being together. They did not love that. And they didn't bond and connect with each other ever. I never witnessed that. And so I do realize how lucky I am and that, that I have that. And so happy 25th anniversary to us. Um, it was just a really good time. Really, really fun. So what's been going on in the Mormon world? Ooh, one of the things that I watched this last week was that show on Netflix, Sins of the Mother. Oh my goodness. If you haven't seen that yet, uh, it is crazy. And it's it's the Lori Vallow Daybell story and Chad Daybell story. Um, I I had like, I mean, I had paid really close attention to that story as it was unfolding. And I've listened to podcasts about it. And I thought I knew all the details, but there was actually quite a few new things that I learned, um, from watching that docuseries. So it was really good. We binge watched it all in one night. And I mean, there's just some crazy shit. And, and if nothing else, like there has to be after all the shows that have come out in the last six months and, and there's more coming, like 
members of the church have to be, have to be genuinely like, what is happening? And you know that saying, like, where there's smoke, there's fire. I wonder how many members are going, man, there's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of smoke coming from this church and from members of this church. And I think they're, they they have to be starting to recognize that it's not just isolated incidents, that it's not just one person here or there randomly, that it's like story after story after story. And we could just keep going forever and ever and ever and probably never run out of stories. I was listening to the most recent um, Mormon Stories podcast with John Larson from Mormon Expressions and, and Cara Burrell. It was so good, by the way, if you haven't listened to it. it um, and, and I those are the only Mormon Stories episodes that I typically listen to anymore. But um, it was about, I think the title of it is Why Are Ex-Mormons So Angry? I think that's what it is. Um, it's so good. I mean, they touched on so many things that uh, relate so, so deeply to my experience and um, the the betrayal, the absolute betrayal we feel and the shunning. But but the way they describe it, how it's so different than like Scientology or Jehovah's Witnesses, where it's like real, like severe physical shunning. This is like such a subtle, like. They do it in such a, a subtle and passive way. It really, it brought up a lot of emotions for me because uh, John Larson was explaining how like him and his parents have a loving relationship, but they don't ever ask him about his life and they don't know what's going on with him personally. And they never ask and they don't care to know and these kinds of things. And it's because they are, you know, afraid to, to know what he's up to. They know that he, you know, has done these ex-Mormon podcasts and, and whatever. So it's this very passive, weird way of shunning and, but it still feels so hurtful and sad. And yeah, just listening to him talk about that, it really, it really struck a chord with me. I was, uh, really emotional about that because, I have, I've talked about my one sister in particular who I was very, very close with and, um, who I shared too much information with and it, it destroyed our relationship. And she really, she really doubled down. And, and, and the, the kind of the strange part about this is that's not typically who she is. She's she's always been a very like carefree, uh, not like toe the line type of Mormon. I would even say that that, you know, she was super nuanced and um, she she's lived a pretty free and um, wild life, I would even say, like compared to me. She's she's done all the things. She tried all the drugs. She had sex with lots of people like she she lived her life and, and didn't maybe just didn't, didn't live super strictly. She's not orthodox, I guess. She, she's never lived like a super strict Mormon life, right? Um, she's like the really fun and loud and crazy one, you know, and we were super, super close for so long. And me leaving the church 
I'm sure was devastating for her. I'm sure that it was really hard for her. Um, but she doubled down and, you know, for probably six to nine months, we didn't speak. We were not, we were not on good terms at all. And over the last year, I think that we've made some progress towards communication and towards, you know, being friends, but it's, there's, there's a huge elephant in the room. It's very difficult to talk about personal things. She's very guarded. I'm very guarded. Um, she, in every conversation we have, and, and I'll say like, we don't have very many conversations. It's about maybe we talk on Marco Polo like once a month. And, and that's, that's actually, yeah, it's probably not that much. It's probably more rare than that, but, uh, and, and that's only like maybe in the last six months that we've started to talk more before that it was like once every six months we might've talked, but whenever we're, you know, whenever she's talking on Marco Polo and, and, you know, telling me a story, like, I'll give you an example. She, you know, bought a new house. They had tons of issues. It, it's an old house. It's a major fixer upper. They had tons of issues with selling their current house so they ended up just renting it out and then buying the new house, um, knowing that, you know, that meant that they wouldn't have all the cash out of the old house in order to put into the new house. So it's going to have to be like a much slower process of, of fixing it up. And so when they moved in, they put all their stuff in the basement and uh, they just decided we're going to we're just going to kind of live out of the basement while we replace all the flooring and the paint upstairs. Right. Well, two days after they moved in, their main water line broke and flooded their basement with all of their stuff, their mattresses, their clothing, their, you know, all of their stuff down there did a lot, a lot of damage, right? Well, she's telling me this story and then she says something about, you know, the, the silver lining in it all and the tender mercy of all of this is that they had homeowner's insurance that would cover the, the extent, you know, the, the majority of the damage. And she, she specifically mentioned God and, you know, God was watching out for them and, and making sure. And I didn't say this to her, but I genuinely like my thought <laughs> was just like, God didn't stop your basement from flooding. You know, he could have done that, right? And God didn't make sure you had homeowner's insurance. Your freaking lender did. Like, it's the law. Like, I'm sorry. Like, why are we giving credit to God for shit that he had nothing to do with? It's just, and and she kind of, it just feels like very purposeful that she inputs this information into like every conversation we have where she talks about God blessing her and God, you know, making things work out for the best for her. And, oh, in this same conversation, she talked about how she uh, literally fell and thought that she broke her collarbone. But when she went to the, the Instacare or ER or whatever, it wasn't broken it was just like the AC joint separated or whatever. I don't really know much about that, but 
it wasn't a, a break. It was like a tear in her ligament or AC joint, whatever. And so again, she's, <laughs> she's giving God the credit for this tender mercy. I put in air quotes. It's just, it's sad to me. It's I'm genuinely sad about this because she's trying to, you know, paint a different picture than what reality is. And I just think this is such a common tactic in members of the church. This is what they do to make themselves feel better about situations. And I just wonder, like, does she look at my life and, you know, what's her explanation for, like, the fact that she has all these you know, bad things happening in her life. And I don't have any of those bad things happening in my life right now, right? Bad things will happen to me. That's the thing is life is 50-50. We're all going to have bad things. We're all going to have good things. But the problem that I see is that, <laughs> that she's constantly giving the credit to God. And when bad things happen to people, you know, Mormons want to blame the person. Um, they never, they never blame God. They say God is testing them or God is teaching them in some way. It's always like this, just this really tricky spin they put on things. But, you know, when, when John Larson and Cara Burrell and, and, and John Dillon, they all talked about how, you know, their family relationships have significantly changed and how hard it is to have the people you love see you differently and think that you are now under Satan's control or that you, you know, that your life is now a tragedy and that you are now, you know, headed for outer darkness. That's, I mean, that just hit the nail on the head for me. That, that is precisely the reason why this is so hard and why relationships moving forward with family, with believing family and friends is so hard because, because for that very, very reason. And, you know, every conversation comes back to something to do with the church. And that's just really, it's really, really hard for me. And my husband and I were talking after we watched that episode together and we talked for a long time after it. And there's just this like, you know, like this hope kind of, of like, no, I wonder if this family member will ever figure it out and leave. Like you hope so, but you also like, I don't want to be just like them where they're hoping and praying for us to come back. Like it's, it's just really complicated and, and difficult. And, and I know like I felt that, uh, when my son left the church, I really like felt so brokenhearted about it and so sad about it. And, and, and then, you know, the praying for him to eventually come back started. And, um, and that's just not a way to truly unconditionally love somebody is hope that they change. Right. And, and actually that brings me to kind of my topic today, because the, the thing that I really want to talk about today is kind of some of the experiences um, I've had with parenting. And I, and I know we've, we've kind of dived into this a little bit um, in the past. And my, I've had several people say to me, you know, people aren't talking about 
the parenting stuff. People aren't talking about how um, parents harm their kids in in the church and how we're we're taught these very binary black and white thinking type of ways and 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 how that affects us. And then also like how that changes so drastically when you leave the church. And so I, I've been like really in my head the last month or two about, you know, all my kids leaving. I've talked about this. Um, they are growing up and they're flying the nest and um, it's, it's complicated and it's hard and it's difficult and it's sad. And it's also something to celebrate and to be happy about as well. Um, so it's, it, it's complicated, but sometimes I get in my head, um, when I'm reflecting on, you know, like the job I've done as a parent and, you know, how, how, like what responsibility I have in terms of like my, my kids mental health and, and, and how well they are thriving. And I know that like, I can't take full responsibility for everything in my kid's life, but I definitely do, you know, I'm aware of my, of my role, right. And, and how my actions impact my kids. And I have, you know, I've had a really complicated relationship with my oldest child, who is my son, my one and only son. And anyone who knows me well knows this about me, you know, and if you've listened to my podcast, other episodes, Um, I've talked about this quite a bit. I have this really strong, I don't want to call it love hate because obviously I never hate my son, but, but you know how like some relationships, the pendulum swings really far. Does that make sense? I don't know if people experience this, but you know how, like, like if, if a relationship is really hard, really, really difficult, it can also, the pendulum can swing totally so far the other way that it's like an even deeper, um, stronger bond and love because of the hard things that you've been with. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know if other people feel that, but, and and I think it goes the same for like, like people who have a lot of emotions, those pendulums swing really far. Right. And then you've got people like my husband who his pendulum stays very close to the center. It, it kind of shifts back and forth, just, you know, very small amounts. But then you've got people like me who have a lot of feelings. Who have, you know, bigger, much bigger highs and lows. I think that I'm getting a little bit more balanced in my in my age. I'm not as I, my pendulum does not swing as far but my son definitely is more like me. And I think that because I struggled so much with him, I have, you know, a really deep, almost anguished love for him that feels so much more intense than I feel about my other kids. Only because not that I, you know, not to say that I love them any less, but that we've been through a lot, right? Like him and I, we we've bonded over, the really hard things that it's like trauma bonding or something, you know, we both caused each other trauma in different ways. And now we're healing from it and we're growing a better relationship and it feels really big with lots of feelings. And I can't help but feel a deep sense of regret, regret over the time I wasted trying to change him 
regret for trying to force him to be different than he was regret for thinking that I knew best. Like I knew how to, you know, make him happy. I knew, I knew I had all the, the things, the checklist, right. Regret for thinking that I could control him almost like this idea of like breaking him into obedience. Like you do a horse, you know, you break them. He was a wild child (laughs) and, and I heard him. And I made him believe that he wasn't good enough. I made him question his own knowing. I invalidated his feelings for so many years of his life because I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. You guys, like we we are put in this position of like told, being told that it's our, you know, our job to make sure that our kids learn the gospel and have testimonies and check off all the boxes. And when you have a child that has a completely different idea of the way that life is supposed to go and they're very opinionated and very strong willed, the idea is that, well, I just got to come down harder on them. I just got to control them more. I just have to do, I just have to do more to make them stop being that way. And that's where so much of my regret And my sadness comes from, and I feel like, you know, now he has a lot of work to do to undo the harm that I did to him. And that makes me just incredibly sad. Uh, And I feel like I want to fix everything for him now. I don't want anything to hurt him. I don't want him to have to face anything hard because of me. I feel this need to make sure he doesn't suffer in, in any way anymore. And (laughs) I just really have to work hard at forgiving myself. And I, you know, I'm probably not the only one who has these thoughts and feelings. I think when you leave Mormonism, you, you tend to kind of sit back and reflect on all the things you were taught and all the things you believed yourself and all the things you taught to others. And you can't help but have regrets, right? And that kind of, that actually brings up another thing I've been thinking about is the people I taught on my mission. Um, I can't remember if I've told this story, so I, I apologize if I have, but essentially my golden family, and if you've ever served a mission, you know what that means. Uh, I, we, we met a family who I labeled my golden family because they were perfect they were looking for meaning in their lives. They loved what we were teaching them. They loved us. They just embraced us with open arms. They did all the things. They were just amazing. And it did not take very long for them to commit to baptism. And then there were some like complicated things where like one of their daughters So it was a husband and wife and two daughters. And I want to say the daughters were probably like 12 and 14 years old. I I don't know exactly because it's been, you know, 25 years. But um, so the younger daughter had planned to go to her grandparents' house for the whole summer. So um, she she was leaving and her grandparents lived in, you know, three states away or something like this. So so she was leaving and we didn't we did not have the opportunity to baptize her before she left. And so what ended up happening is the wife says, well, why don't you go ahead and, you know, like maybe 
the older daughter and my husband can get baptized and then I'll wait and I'll get baptized with my younger daughter when she gets back. And um, we thought, oh, you know what? This is perfect because we can baptize the husband and the older daughter. And then by the time the younger daughter gets home, the the dad can get the priesthood and he can baptize his wife and his other daughter, right? And he was stoked about this. He was like, because I think you can get the Aaronic priesthood, I don't know, within three months of being baptized or something like this. Um, and so he was super stoked about this. He, that excited him so much. Now, granted, he couldn't confirm because he wouldn't have the Melchizedek priesthood, but he could baptize, right? So that was the plan and we moved forward with it. Okay. So the husband and the daughter got baptized. Their baptism was beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful, amazing. They were so excited about their baptism and they told they told um, the wife's family, like they happened to, you know, talk to her family on the phone and they said, oh, guess what? We just got baptized into this church and this family shared. They were like, oh, no. So then the in-laws tell him all kinds of things about bad about the church and he like loses his mind. He like it is devastating to, to him. And he calls me one day. He calls me that day and uh, calls me my companion. But him and I were especially close. Like, yeah, we just we just bonded. Right. He calls and he says, I'm sorry, but we have learned all of these things about the church. And. We feel like we've been lied to. And I lost it. I just, my heart, it was like my heart was ripped out of my chest. I've never been so devastated up until that point in my life. Like I literally, I'd never been so devastated in all my life. He said, I'm going to come bring you all the things that you gave us, the scriptures, the church videos, the blah, blah, blah. We are never coming back to the church ever again. And I told him, I said, I, I promise you, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. I, I did not tell you anything that was, that was not true. And I, I have not hidden anything from you, whatever, whatever they've told you, whatever you've learned, it's just anti-Mormon lies. And it's because Satan wants to, you know, have you, Satan wants to take you away from the church. I really believed all of these things and it broke my heart. It really broke my heart. And he no longer trusted us. And he still was very kind to us. He was never mean, but he, he set a boundary and he, and he stuck to it. Right. He said, I've got to do what's best for my family. And, um, the relationship with my in-laws is important to us. And they said that if we, if we, you know, join the church that they will never speak to us again. And, um, so it was really, really difficult. Well, this is one of the things, like I was saying, like when you leave the church, you stop and reflect on everything you did and what you believed and what you taught others. Right. And so this family is one of the, one of those times when I'm doing that. And I actually, I just did this yesterday. So I'm kind of freaking out a little bit about it, but I found him. I found the guy on Facebook you know what's so sad is I can't remember his wife's name, but I remembered his name and I found him and he's not married to that wife anymore, 
which is sad to me, but you know, that happens. But I found him and I messaged him and I could see based on what I could see from his Facebook profile that he was not a part of the church. So I, a little bit of me was like super relieved. I'm like, oh, thank God he didn't like go back and eventually like, you know, end up back in the church. I mean, I didn't think that he would, but there was a chance, right? So I messaged him and I apologized and I told him like, like, Hey, I've left the church, you know, all those things were true, but I didn't know it. I promise you, I never tried to mislead you or, you know, lie to you. Um, I had been brainwashed since birth. I had been taught all, all the things that I taught you. And anyways, he hasn't responded yet. So I don't have the end of that story, but when I do, I will share it with you. But it's kind of part for me, it's part of the healing process of like, I've got to make amends. I've got to fix the mistakes I made as best I can. Um, I know that I can't take back the things that I've done. I know that I can't reverse time and change how I raised my oldest son and how I mentally and spiritually kind of abused him, manipulated and tried to control and all of these things. And that's a really hard reality to realize that, that you did those things, but that's, you know, (laughs) that's the reality of it. And so that's, that's one of the biggest things I struggle with. My life coach has heard me talk about this a million times. She's helped me get really curious about all my feelings around my parenting and how they're so intertwined with the church and what I was taught growing up. And she's really helped me to become like more of an observer of my thoughts uh, and to accept what is when it comes to like the outcomes of my parenting. And in some ways, you know, my son, he has honestly become one of the most emotionally mature 23 year olds that I have ever known. He is, he's incredibly sensitive and empathetic to others. He's super smart He's opinionated like no one I've ever met, but he's also open to learning and changing his mind, which I love because we can have discussions and he will, he's not so set in his ways that, that he isn't open to learning. He loves to make people laugh. He loves to teach people about the things that he's passionate about. He's super driven. He's so fun to be around. He loves, you know, being kind of in a, in a social setting, Um, So when I look at all the good things that he is, it helps me to not feel like I totally failed him as a parent. But then also it's like, well, he just, you know, he was born with all that good stuff and he is all of those good things despite (laughs) everything that I did. (laughs) Hey, so I'm going to jump in here and I'm recording this separate from the rest of my episode, but I was editing my episode. And I found this story, this story popped up in the news today about a Clearfield man being found guilty of assaulting his son during an argument that started when his son said he did not want to go on a mission for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This story was on KSL this morning and it is so sad. And this is totally relevant to this topic that we're talking about in this, in this episode. And so I wanted to record a little blurb about this story and kind of add it into my episode. But apparently, um, let's see, it was two years ago, the police were called to this residence on a report of a fight between 
Scott Warner and his 18-year-old son, that he had attempted to remove his son from the home after his son stated that he did not want to go on a mission. Um, The son told police that he and his father were arguing, and after he told him he was not going on a mission, his father grabbed him by the arm, uh, and the two began to physically fight. The victim reported that during this fight, he was knocked to the ground, and Scott, the dad, began to strike the victim's head into the wall repeatedly, as well as squeeze the victim's neck and with both hands, the charges state. Um, The police say that multiple scratches were visible on the son's neck and he was shaking while speaking to officers and was hesitant to provide details about what had happened. Officers on scene then spoke to the father again, who told them he had tried to forcibly remove his son from the residence as it was his home. I pointed out that the victim appeared to be, I guess this is a quote from the police. I pointed out that the victim appeared to be a lawful resident And Scott stated that I was not a lawyer. I asked Scott how he had attempted to remove the victim from the home, and he stated he grabbed him. When I asked him where he grabbed the victim, he stated wherever he could. He continually referred to the incident as a tussle. Another family member had also called 911, saying that Warner was choking the victim. The police wrote, I determined Scott to be the predominant physical aggressor. In April, Warner and his attorneys filed a motion to have this case dismissed, arguing that Warner acted in self-defense and that it was the son who attacked him first. Warner was found guilty during um, this hearing on September 8th. He's scheduled to be sentenced on October 21st. A conviction on a third-degree felony is punishable by up to five years in the Utah State Prison. The judge denied a request by prosecutors for Warner to be taken into custody pending his sentencing. I was going to read what the actual, it was, uh, okay, he was convicted of aggravated assault and domestic violence in the presence of a child, third degree felonies, according to court records. Okay, this story is so incredibly sad on all counts, right? Okay, I feel really bad for this 18-year-old who was assaulted by his dad for not wanting to go on a mission. I'm also not shocked, like at all. This, this is not surprising. I guarantee that this has happened thousands of times and not just for not wanting to go on a mission, but, you know, not wanting to go to church. I mean, this dad, yes, he absolutely crossed the line and should not have attacked his son this way, but also This dad has been brainwashed and indoctrinated to believe that it is his job to make his child do what he's supposed to do at all costs. Like, like there's this dad was just being a regular Mormon, a Mormon who has been taught that it's his job to lay down the law and to do everything you can. And that he's also been taught to be afraid when his son wants to do something different that's against what they've been what he's been taught to do right so there's a lot of fear involved in this and fear turns into anger or it shows up as anger and i mean i totally understand the perspective of the dad i i genuinely do and i bet a lot of us as parents do that like when our kids don't do what they're supposed to do we feel like we're supposed to force them to do that. 
and we feel angry and we feel afraid that they're going to make bad choices and go down a bad path. And granted, I never assaulted my kid, but believe me, I wanted to. <laughs> I mean, there were many times where, you know, I pro- if I could have drug him to church physically, I might have tried that. And that's that's embarrassing for me to admit, but I completely understand where this dad came from. I understand the anger. I understand the fear. I understand the, the forcibly, you know, trying to make somebody do what you want them to do. And then, you know, I just understand how easily it gets out of control. And I think that it is the system. It is absolutely this incident is a product of the system. It absolutely is. And so much abuse happens in the church because of this system, because of what we've been taught. And it's so crazy to me that, you know, these stories are finally coming out. I mean, I, I can't, I guarantee this has happened so many times. And I bet if I, you know, asked everybody I knew and if they told the truth, they would say, oh yeah, that happened in my household. Or yeah, I did that. Or yeah, I experienced that. I was a victim of that, right? Because, but it's not talked about and it's not typically admitted, right? Nobody admits to doing this, but this guy got caught, right? And um, he's he's facing the consequences. And I think that it is a, it's a reality check for all of us. It's a, it's a moment to like think, okay, what is at the bottom of this, right? It's a system that is fucked up and it is creating some incredibly unhealthy ways of parenting. So, okay, back to the podcast. I was listening to a podcast this past week with a parenting expert and she talked about one of the most important skills that we can learn as a parent is repair work. And by that, she means like apologies, right? how to repair things. Um, and that hit me so hard because that's exactly, you know, that's exactly where I'm at. One of the things that was super hard for me with like my mom, um, she made a lot of mistakes as every parent does, right? My mom didn't always do the most healthy things. She was, you know, and still is in the church. Uh, she didn't, she wasn't very nurturing in the way that I needed it. And one thing that I always wanted from her was just validation that my feelings were were valid, um, acknowledgement of like her mistakes when she hurt me or an apology. I, I never expected her to per- be perfect, right? Nobody, I don't think anyone expects anyone to be that. But if you have a difficult relationship with a parent, you know that sometimes you don't communicate those hurts that they've caused you because either you've done it in the past and it's turned into your parent being this super fragile, you know, hurt person. And they, Oh, you hate me. And I've totally failed. And I'm the worst mom and blah, 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 blah. And then you backpedal and you basically take back what you said and you tell them, Oh, I didn't really mean that. It's, you know, no, I mean, you're a really good mom. You you're fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And you wish you had never said anything. Okay. (laughs) This has totally happened to me. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, um, just thank the Lord. It's really hard. It's really invalidating because what it says is that my parent is too fragile 
to recognize the harms that they did. And so therefore, like, I can't talk about it. And because I can't talk about it and because they can never validate it, it feels like you can't ever heal from it. And then, you know, a a lot of us just never bring it up with our parents because we suspect that they'll never validate our experience and, and therefore we never try to communicate it. So, you know, my, basically my mission (laughs) has, has been to allow my kids to communicate the past hurts, to acknowledge that and validate their feelings. And I can apologize and own up to my mistakes in parenting. Um, I don't have to become a fragile, needy person that requires my kids to make me feel better about myself or my parenting skills, like that, that requires my kids to say, oh no, my feelings, my feelings are fine. I'm fine. You, you did great, you know, and to, you know, just kind of bottle up what hurts they had, right? Um, No matter how much we try to be the perfect parent, we're going to screw up our kids in one way or another. There's literally no such thing as a perfect parent. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to make huge mistakes and we have to learn how to be sturdy meaning like not fragile. Uh, We don't need our kids to validate us or praise us for everything we did. We need to be emotionally mature enough to own our shit and to work through it, apologize for mistakes that we make and move forward. And that can be super hard, especially if it's never been modeled for you, right? Um, I think a lot of us experience this like really poor modeling of parenthood. And if your parent never apologized for anything, then it's hard for you to even know how to do it, right? It's a process. It's a process. Um, So I listened to a podcast with, um, oh gosh, it was Brene Brown's podcast. And she interviewed Harriet Lerner, who has a book called Why Won't You Apologize? And it's all about how to give and receive apologies and how like the need for apologies, how important apologies are that, you know, how, why they matter and what is required for healing past hurts and things like this. It is so, so, so good. And I listened to that podcast twice, like, because I, I, and I even made notes and all kinds of stuff. And her book is on my list of books to read. Of course, I have a huge long list, so I haven't gotten to it yet. But this is something that is important to me because I recognize that one of the things that I felt so brokenhearted about is that my mom couldn't apologize to me. When past hurts were brought up, she became the fragile parent who I then had to console and say, I'm sorry for having feelings. I'm sorry that you hurt me. Like I was the one giving the apologies. And my mom was the one crying saying, but I thought I did everything I could do for you. And oh, I, you know, it's so devastating to hear that I was the worst mother ever. Like, you know, and over dramatize it. And it's so, so, so hard And so back to what I was saying, just like we need to be emotionally mature enough to own our shit and to work through it, to apologize for mistakes and to move forward. And we also need to be able to know how to accept apologies from someone else. And to when one of the things I remember her talking about is when somebody apologizes, do not say 
Oh, it's fine. It's okay. Say thank you. Ooh, isn't that, I mean, to me, that is like mind blowing, right? Because what do we always do when someone says, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about this. You say, oh, it's fine. It's okay. You're good. Like we turn around and stroke their ego and try to make them feel better instead of just saying, thank you. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Why can't we say thank you? For an apology, right? So I think this is something that we well, that's that's ironic. We don't learn about apologies in the church. Hmm. I wonder why that is. That's so interesting. Um, I think the quote from Oaks is we do not give or seek apologies. Wow. The word apology is not in the Bible anywhere. Hmm. It's not in the scriptures. Isn't that fascinating? Interesting. You know what word is kind of synonymous with apology? It's like repentance or forgiveness. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. It's it's crazy. So it's never been modeled for us, right? Good apologies have never been modeled. The other thing, the other component of this is that through this process of like making amends and fixing past hurts and trying to do better moving forward, I'm also learning how to basically reparent myself, right? Um, It's never too late to reparent ourselves and give ourselves the grace and the validation, right? That we did not get from our parents. I've come to a place and, and I haven't always been here. And hey, you know, I might go back to the place I was before, but the place I am right now is really genuinely believing that my mom did the best she could with what she knew. And I think that she really thought that what she was doing was was what was best for me. And she was trying. I mean, we've come a long, long, long way in in parenting and in psychology in the past 30 years. Right. Since I was a kid. Um, Hopefully we are wiser And hopefully we are better than our parents were. But that doesn't mean that we have to think that our parents were horrible people or that they weren't doing the best they could. I I genuinely do believe that both of my parents were doing the best that they could with what they knew. My mom spread herself too thin. She she tried to do too much, but she also tried to be too controlling she had a hard time differentiating between herself and her kids, meaning like, like that everything we did was an extension of her. And therefore, you know, if we screwed up, then it made her look like a bad parent or it made her look bad or she took our choices personally. Right. Have you guys seen this in your own lives and with your own parents? And I think it's so it's so ingrained in the church. It's so a part of the culture of the gospel to be this, you know, codependent um, you know, taking on everyone else's feelings and, and decisions and life choices and and all this kind of stuff. And I, I totally felt this. I know this well, because I also did this when my son didn't want to participate in the church. I took that to mean that I didn't teach him well enough. I didn't impart of my wisdom or my testimony like I should have done, because otherwise if I had done everything I was supposed to do, he would have believed and he would have stayed. Right. But actually him having different beliefs than me, was just a sign of a smart kid who knows how to think for himself and not ignore his own knowing. 
Like I am genuinely like, thank God my kid did not bend and break to me pushing and pushing and pushing. We are so brainwashed to believe that obedience is the most important thing. Even if we don't understand the reasons why, right? And and I really, I pushed this on my kids so hardcore, you guys. It's just like, you know what? Stop asking questions. Just do the thing because I said to do the thing. Like, you don't need to know the reasons why. Just do it. And sorry, that was never going to work for him. He's like, no, um, I do need to know the reasons why. Like, it needs to make logical sense in order for me to get on board with this thing, right? And, but I, you know, and I wasn't like that so much. I was, I was taught to conform and, you know, to be this cookie cutter person who does all the items on the checklist, who looks pure and clean and modest and follows the straight and narrow path. Right. And I just thought that's how you do it. That's how you do it. You just obey obedience, obedience, obedience. That is drilled into our heads from day one. And when my kid didn't want to do that shit. I just made it all about me. (sighs) So it's just a lot of like, it's a lot of reflection on my part. It's a lot of like healing by just kind of trying to move forward and do better. Um, I could spend the rest of my life just wallowing in my mistakes, but who does that benefit? It doesn't benefit anybody. So while I definitely want to recognize my mistakes and heal the hurts with my son and, and apologize to him, I think, you know, one of the best ways to make amends is to just not repeat the thing, right? And to say be able to say, I made a mistake. I screwed up. I'm working on this. I'm not perfect. I didn't know how to do this better. And so now I'm trying and I'm learning. And I mean, my son and I's relationship, I think is really beautiful right now. God damn. The fact that he, I think he forgives me. I think that he he's such he's such a beautiful human I'm so incredibly proud of him and I think that he's he's gonna do he's gonna do better if he's ever a parent He's going to do better than I did. Because hopefully I've modeled for him, even though I modeled a lot of unhealthy things. Hopefully I've modeled for him repair work. And the fact that people can change. That I can change my mind about something, that I can recognize something unhealthy and do it different moving forward. And I really, I really hope and pray that that is the case for him 
And, and I think it is. I genuinely feel super hopeful about his future because of that, because of his freaking resiliency and his ability to forgive me. It's just, it's everything. It's, it means a lot to me. Whew. You know, sometimes I just have to give myself um, kind of the, the green light, the, the ability to let my feelings out, to go inside of myself and reflect and be curious about what I'm feeling why I'm feeling and not brush it off, push it aside, push it away, push it down and make it go away because it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to recognize failures. (laughs) It's really uncomfortable to recognize um, when you've made mistakes. But one thing that my son said to me the other day, uh, was that he said, cause he's, he's doing something really, really difficult in the military. And he said, I'm okay if I fail as long as I don't quit. <sighs> he's so incredibly wise. Failure is not the worst thing. You guys, <laughs> at least you tried, right? At least, and you keep trying and you don't give up. Failure teaches us, I think, just as much or more, probably more than success, right? And so I'm really, really, really just grateful for that. And I mean, I haven't even started all the <laughs> the processing and and healing and 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 apologies to my daughters. I'm still working on my son. <laughs> I'm going to have a bunch of things to answer for with my daughters too. And we all are. And I guess if we can just, you know, set our expectations that no matter how much we do, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be, we're going to screw up because we're not perfect. But think about how, how much of a difference it makes when you can say, I'm sorry. When you can own it. Not I'm sorry, but no buts, no excuses. Just I'm sorry. And I'm going to keep trying to do better. That is so powerful. So the power of apologies is the theme of, of today's topic, I guess. I, I really, that's not really where I thought I was going with this, but you know, it just whatever comes up, we talk about. So, but that's really, I mean, in talking about parenting and all of that, I, I really think that is the thing that sticks out to me the most is that the, the there is so much power in repair work and in, in, in so much healing in apologies. And we've never been modeled this. We've never been taught it, um, at least from the church. Maybe, you know, listeners, you had parents that modeled this beautifully. I did not. I never did. I never, 
I never had that. And hopefully we can learn this. So I, I really recommend that book, um, even though I haven't read it. <laughs> I recommend listening to that podcast with Brene Brown and it's with Harriet. Let me say her name again, Harriet Lerner. And the book, and she has a bunch of books, but this particular one she was talking about on this podcast was Why Won't You Apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts. That's the, you know, secondary title of the book. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the message that I want to get across today is, is there apologies that you need to make? Are there wrongs that you need to right? Are there things in your past that still give you, you know, pain and sadness. Um, and if there is, what can you do to fix it? You can't, you can't erase it. You can't turn back the clock and you can't just brush it under the rug and pretend it never happened. Those are things that aren't healthy and that aren't healing in any way. So I think, Apology, an apology is a really great place to start, a sincere apology. And, and that's, that's the other thing that's really great about her book is she talks about how to apologize, like genuinely like teaching you, these are the steps, these are the things you do, these are the things you don't do. So I love that. Love, love, love it. Um, thank you guys so much for coming back over and over again. Um, I'm sorry that my content has been lacking. I, I literally, I was gone for 10 days and then it took me probably another 10 days to really recover and like get back to my life and answer all 400 of my emails and work is busy and just life is busy. My daughter that went up to college last month, now she has COVID. My son is getting ready to leave on his deployment. Oh, we're actually, we're welcoming a new puppy to our family tomorrow. And, um, yeah, there's just all kinds of chaos. It's constantly, we're in a state of chaos, but, um, yeah, there's just, and, and that's why my, I, I haven't created content for several weeks. So I apologize for that. I want to try to be as consistent as possible. And I hope that you'll keep coming back. And, um, I always appreciate donations. Oh, you know what? That actually reminds me. I had message from somebody. Hang on. I had some really beautiful messages. So I don't always see, you know, messages as soon as they come in or like, like from donors, like, yeah. And, um, so these are, I don't know, probably a month old or so, but I want to give a shout out to those who have, um, those who've donated and, um, there's a message from Chelsea. She says, this podcast has helped me navigate life after Mormonism. Thank you for doing it. Thank you so much, Chelsea. I really appreciate it. And she set up a recurring donation. Oh my gosh. That like, Oh, my heart, my heart. And then another message from Marsha. Thank you so much. She gave me a beautiful donation. She says, you are my new best friend. <laughs> I love you, Marsha. You're my new best friend. Everything you say resonates with me. Years ago, after being a lifetime Mormon who did all the things, I found myself divorced. Ex left me with the children, bills, and tons of debt. Went to the bishop for help. He did exactly what you said on your podcast. First, did I have family members to help? Second, he could help me with food and rent for a couple of months then. He said, 
We all need to learn to stand on our own two feet. Ugh. I vowed to never ask anyone for help again. I have a beautiful, thriving life now and since. I haven't paid a tithe for 25 years. And since you are a fucking amazing grown-ass woman, (laughs) here's a small donation to help you keep on keeping on. Oh, Marsha, I love you. I just want to give you a giant hug. Oh, oh, my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Literally from the bottom of my heart. Thank you to everyone who has donated, who has sent me messages of love and support and who, I mean, it's so validating, right? When somebody says me too, right? This happened to me. Um, God, it's so healing to just have somebody validate your experience. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Marsha, you are my new best friend. (laughs) And you can come on my podcast and talk to me anytime. I would love it. I seriously would. Um, I am going to try because I'm so not technologically smart. You guys, I'm sorry. I'm only 46, but I swear in technology years, I'm like 80. Okay. I'm not smart. It frustrates me. It overwhelms me. It, um, makes me feel, I don't know, like I'm an idiot. And so what I'm going to try to do, and my daughter's probably going to have to help me is I'm going to try to set up an Instagram account for dissident daughters And I'm going to start posting and I would love, I would love, love, love for you guys to find me on Instagram and to uh, follow me. And it might take me a minute to start really producing any content, but I want a space other than the podcast because, you know, stuff comes up like just shit happening in the world and in the, in, in the church that I want to like, I want to get on social media and just scream it out to the world and say, this, this is fucking ridiculous. But in my own private circles, you know, on my personal Facebook or Instagram pages, I can't do that because I end up alienating all my Mormon friends and family. So I need this, you know, I need another outlet (laughs) to be able to share the things, um, and to be able to say with no filters, you know, how I actually feel about things happening in the world. So Yes, I am setting up a Dissident Daughters Instagram page. Um, And once I get it done, I'll mention it in the next podcast episode as well. But um, watch for that. I would love for you guys, anybody who's following the podcast to follow me on Instagram and to um, just, yeah, talk to me, message me. Like, let's let's have conversations. I would love it. Um, And I really appreciate all the support and donations and the love from you all. And, uh, I give it all right back to you and send it, send my love, uh, back to you guys because I just feel it, uh, huge. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will be back next week. I've got some, um, episodes coming up with some more guests. So that's going to be really fun and, uh, watch for those and look forward to coming back and talking more. (laughs) Love you all. See ya. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,